Chapter thirty two, part one of East Lynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. East Lynn by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter thirty two, part one. Meeting of Lady Isabel and Affy. On the evening of the day when Helena Crosby communicated her future prospects to Lady Isabel, the latter strolled out in the twilight and took her seat on a bench in an unfrequented part of the gardens, where she was fond of sitting. Now it occurred that Affy, some minutes afterwards, found herself in the same walk, and a very dull one, too, she was thinking. "'Who's that?' quoth Affy to herself, her eyes falling upon Lady Isabel. "'Oh, it's that governess of the Crosbys. She may be known a half-mile off by her grandmother's bonnet. I'll go and have a word with her.' Accordingly, Affy, who was never troubled with bashfulness, went up and seated herself beside Lady Isabel. "'Good evening, Madame Vine,' cried she. "'Good evening,' replied Lady Isabel, courteously, not having the least idea who Affy might be. "'You don't know me, I fancy,' pursued Affy, so gathering from Lady Isabel's looks. "'I am companion to Mrs. Latimer, and she is spending the evening with Mrs. Crosby. Precious dull, this Stalkenberg. "'Do you think so?' "'It is for me. I can't speak German or French, and the upper attendants of families here can't. Most of them speak English. I'm sure I go about like an owl, able to do nothing but stare. I was sick enough to come here, but I'd rather be back at West Lynn, quiet as it is. Lady Isabel had not been encouraging her companion, either by words or manner, but the last sentence caused her heart to bound within her control herself as she would, she could not quite hide her feverish interest. Do you come from West Lynn? Yes. Horrid place. Mrs. Latimer took a house there soon after I went to live with her. I'd rather she'd taken it at Botany Bay. Why do you not like it? Because I don't, was Affy's satisfactory answer. Do you know East Lynn? resumed Lady Isabel her heart beating and her brain whirling, as she deliberated how she could put all the questions she wished to ask. "'I ought to know it,' returned Affy. "'My own sister, Miss Salijon, is head-maid there. Why, do you know it, Madame Vine?' Lady Isabel hesitated. She was deliberating upon her answer. "'Some years ago I was staying in the neighbourhood for a little time,' she said, I should like to hear of the Carlyles again. They were a nice family. Affy tossed her head. Ah, but there have been changes since that. I dare say you knew them in the time of Lady Isabel. Another pause. Lady Isabel? Yes, she was Mr. Carlyle's wife. And a nice wife she made him, ironically, rejoined Affy. You must have heard of it, Madame Vine, unless you lived in the wood. She abandoned him and her children. Are the children living? Yes, poor things. 
but the ones on the road to the churchyard, if ever I saw threatened consumption yet. Joyce, that's my sister, is in a flaring temper when I say it. She thinks it will get strong again. Lady Isabel passed her handkerchief across her moist brow. Which of the children is it? she faintly asked. Isabel? Isabel, retorted Afy, who's Isabel? The eldest child, I mean, Miss Isabel Carlyle. There's no Isabel, there's Lucy, she's the only daughter. When, when I knew them, there was only one daughter, the other two were boys. I remember quite well that she was called Isabel. Stay, said Afy. Now you speak of it, what was it that I heard? It was Wilson told me, I recollect, she's the nurse. Why, the very night that his wife went away, Mr. Carlyle gave orders that the child in future should be called Lucy, her second name. No wonder, added Affy, violently indignant, that he could no longer endure the sound of her mother's or suffer the child to bear it. No wonder, murmured Lady Isabel. Which child is it that's ill? It's William, the eldest boy. He is not to say ill, but he is as thin as a herring, with an unnaturally bright look on his cheek, and a glaze upon his eye. Joyce says that his cheeks are no brighter than his mother's were, but I know better. Folks in health don't have those brilliant colours. Did you ever see Lady Isabel? she asked in a low tone. Not I, returned Affy. I should have thought it demeaning. One does not care to be brought into contact with that sort of misdoing lot, you know, Madame Vine. There is another one, a little boy, Archibald, I think his name was. Is he well? Oh, the troublesome youngster. He is as sturdy as a Turk. No fear of his going into consumption. He is the very image of Mr. Carlyle, is that child. I say, though, madame, continued Affy, changing the subject unceremoniously, if you were stopping at West Lynn, perhaps you heard some wicked mischief-making stories concerning me. I believe I did hear your name mentioned. I cannot charge my memory now with the particulars. My father was murdered. You must have heard of that. Yes, I recollect so far. He was murdered by a chap called Richard Hare, who decamped in Stanter. Perhaps you know the Hares also. Well, directly after the funeral, I left West Lynn. I could not bear the place, and I stopped away. And what do you suppose they said of me? That I had gone after Richard Hare. Not that I knew they were saying it, or I should pretty soon have been back and given them the length of my tongue. But now as I ask you, as a lady, Madame Vine, whether a more infamous accusation was ever pitched upon. And you had not gone after him? No, that I swear, passionately returned Affy. Make myself a companion of my father's murderer? If Mr. Calcraft, the hangman, finished off a few of those West Lynn scandalmongers, it might be a warning to the others. I said so to Mr. Carlyle. To Mr. Carlyle, repeated Lady Isabel, hardly conscious that she did repeat it. He laughed, I remember, 
and said that would not stop the scandal. The only one who did not misjudge me was himself. He did not believe that I was with Richard Hare, but he was ever noble judging, was Mr. Carlyle. I suppose you were in a situation. Affy coughed. To be sure, more than one. I lived as a companion with an old lady who so valued me that she left me a handsome legacy in her will. I lived two years with the Countess of Mount Severn. With the Countess of Mount Severn? echoed Lady Isabel, surprised into the remark. Why, she, she was related to Mr. Carlyle's wife, at least Lord Mount Severn was. Of course, everybody knows that. I was living there at the time the business happened. Didn't the Countess pull Lady Isabel to pieces? She and Miss Levison used to sit, cant, cant, all day over it. Oh, I assure you, I know all about it, just as much as Joyce did. Have you got that headache that you are leaning on your hand? Headache and heartache both, she might have answered. Miss Affy resumed. So after the flattering compliment West Lynne had paid to me, you may judge I was in no hurry to go back to it, Madame Vine, and if I had not found that Mrs. Latimer's promised to be an excellent place, I should have left it rather than be marshalled there. But I have lived it down. I should like to hear any of them fibbing against me now. Do you know that blessed Miss Corney? I have seen her. She shakes her head and makes eyes at me still. But so she would at an angel, a cross-grained old cockatoo. Is she still at East Lynne? Not she, indeed. There would be drawn battles between her and Mrs. Carlyle if she were. A dart, as of an ice-bolt, seemed to arrest the blood in Lady Isabel's veins. Mrs. Carlyle, she faltered. Who is Mrs. Carlyle? Mr. Carlyle's wife. Who should she be? The rushing blood leaped on, now fast and fiery. I did not know he had married again. He has been married now, oh, getting on for fifteen months, a twelve-month last June. I went to the church to see them married. Wasn't there a cram? She looked beautiful that day. Lady Isabel laid her hand upon her breast, but for that delectable loose jacket Affy might have detected her bosom rise and fall. She steadied her voice sufficiently to speak. Did he marry Barbara Hare? You may take your oath of that, said Affy. If folks tell true, there was love scenes between them before he ever thought of Lady Isabel. I had that from Wilson, and she ought to know, for she lived at the Hare's. Another thing is said, only you must just believe one word of Westland talk and disbelieve ten, that if Lady Isabel had not died, Mr. Carlyle never would have married again. He had scruples. Half a dozen were given him by report. Louisa Dobede for one, and Mary Pinner for another. Such nonsense! Folks might have made sure it would be Barbara Hare. There's a baby now. 
is there was the faint answer a beautiful boy three or four months old mrs carlyle is not a little proud of him she worships her husband is he kind to the first children for all i know i don't think she has much to do with them archibald is in the nursery and the other two are mostly with the governess i wonder cried the governess how the tidings of lady isabel's death were received at east lynne i don't know anything about that they held it as a jubilee i should say and set all the bells in town to ring and feasted the men upon legs of mutton and onion sauce afterwards i should know i know a brute animal deaf and dumb such as a cow or goose clings to its offspring but she abandoned hers are you going in madame vine i must go in now good evening to you she had sat till she could sit no longer her very heart-strings were wrung and she might not rise up in defence of herself defence did she not deserve more ten thousand times more reproach than had met her ears now this girl did not say of her half what the world must say there is a governess nearly the first thing that mr carlyle did after his wife's moonlight flitting was to seek a governess and she has been there ever since she is going to leave now to be married joyce told me are you much at east lynne affie shook her head i am not going much i can tell you where i am looked down upon mrs carlyle does not favour me she knew that her brother richard would have given his hand to marry me and she resents it not such a great catch i'm sure that dick hare even if he had gone on right continued affy somewhat after the example of the fox looking at the unattainable grapes he had no brains to speak of and what he had were the colour of a peacock's tail green to bed at the usual time but not to sleep what she had heard only increased her vain insensate longing a stepmother at east lynne and one of her children gliding on to death oh to be with them to see them once again to purchase that boon she would willingly forfeit all the rest of her existence her frame was fevered the bed was fevered and she arose and paced the room this state of mind would inevitably bring on bodily illness possibly an attack of the brain she dreaded that for there was no telling what she might reveal in her delirium her temples were throbbing her heart was beating and she once more threw herself upon the bed and pressed the pillow down upon her forehead there is no doubt that the news of mr carlyle's marriage helped greatly the excitement she did not pray to die but she did wish that death might come to her what would have been the ending it is impossible to say but a strange turn in affairs came one of those wonderful coincidences sometimes but not often to be met with 
Mrs. Crosby appeared in Madame Vine's room after breakfast, and gave her an account of Helena's projected marriage. She then apologized. The real object of her visit, for dispensing so summarily with Madame's services, but had reason to hope that she could introduce her to another situation. Would Madame have any objection to take one in England? Madame was on the point of replying that she should not choose to enter one in England when Mrs. Crosby stopped her, saying that she would call in Mrs. Latimer, who could tell her about it better than she could. Mrs. Latimer came in, all eagerness and volubility. Ah, my dear madame, she exclaimed, you would be fortunate indeed if you were to get into this family. The nicest people they are, he so liked and respected, she so pretty and engaging, a most desirable situation too, treated as a lady and all things comfortable. There is only one pupil, a girl. One of the little boys, I believe, goes in for an hour or two, but that's not much, and the salary's seventy guineas. They are friends of mine, the Carlyles. Such a beautiful place they live at, East Lynn. The Carlyles? East Lynn? Go governess there? Lady Isabel's breath was taken away. They are parting with their governess, continued Mrs. Latimer, and when I was there, a day or two before I started on my tour to Germany, Mrs. Carlyle said to me, I suppose you could not pick us up a desirable governess for Lucy, one who is mistress of French and German. She spoke in a half-joking tone, but I feel sure that were I to write word I had found one desirable, it would give her pleasure. Now Mrs. Crosby tells me your French is quite that of a native, Madame Vine, that you read and speak German well, and that your musical abilities are excellent. I think you would be just the one to suit, and I have no doubt I could get you the situation. What do you say? What could she say? Her brain was in a whirl. I am anxious to find you one if I can, put in Mrs. Crosby. We have been much pleased with you, and I should like you to be desirably placed. As Mrs. Latimer is so kind as to interest herself, it appears to me an opportunity that should not be missed. Shall I write to Mrs. Carlyle? rejoined Mrs. Latimer. Lady Isabel roused herself, and so far cleared her intellect as to understand and answer the question. Perhaps you would kindly give me until tomorrow morning to consider on it. I had not intended to take a situation in England. A battle she had with herself that day. At one moment it seemed to her that Providence must have placed this opportunity in her way that she might see her children in her desperate longing. At another a voice appeared to whisper that it was a wily dangerous temptation flung across her path, one which it was her duty to resist and flee from. Then came another phase of the picture. How should she bear to see Mr. Carlyle, the husband of another, to live in the same house with them, to witness his attentions, possibly his caresses? It might be difficult, 
but she could force and school her heart to endurance had she not resolved in her first bitter repentance to take up her cross daily and bear it no her own feelings let them be wrung as they would should not prove the obstacle evening came and she had not decided she passed another night of pain of restlessness of longing for her children this intense longing appeared to be overmastering all her powers of mind and body the temptation at length proved too strong the project having been placed before her covetous eyes could not be relinquished and she finally consented to go what is it that would keep me away she argued the dread of discovery well if that comes it must they could not hang me or kill me deeper humiliation than ever would be my portion when they drive me from east lynne with abhorrence and ignominy as a soldier is drummed out of his regiment but i could bear that as i must bear the rest and i can shrink under the hedge and lay myself down to die humiliation for me no i will not put that in comparison with seeing and being with my children mrs latimer wrote to mrs carlyle she had met with a governess one desirable in every way who could not fail to suit her views precisely she was a madame vine english by birth but the widow of a frenchman a protestant a thorough gentlewoman an efficient linguist and musician and competent to her duties in all ways mrs crosby with whom she had lived two years regarded her as a treasure and would not have parted with her but for helena's marriage with a german nobleman you must not mind her appearance went on the letter she is the oddest looking person wears spectacles caps enormous bonnets and has a great scar on her mouth and chin and though she can't be more than thirty her hair is grey she is also slightly lame but understand you she is a lady with it all and looks one when this description reached east lynne barbara laughed at it as she read it aloud to mr carlyle he laughed also it is well governesses are not chosen according to their looks he said or i fear madame vine would stand but a poor chance they resolved to engage her and word went back to that effect a strangely wild tumult filled lady isabel's bosom she first of all hunted her luggage over her desk everything belonging to her lest any mark on the linen might be there which could give a clue to her former self the bulk of her luggage remained in paris warehoused where it had been sent ere she quitted grenoble she next saw to her wardrobe making it still more unlike anything she had used to wear her caps save that they were simple and fitted closely to the face nearly rivalled those of miss carlyle her handwriting she had been striving for years to change the character of and had so far succeeded 
that none would now take it for Lady Isabel Vane's. But her hand shook as she wrote to Mrs. Carlyle, who had written to her. She, she writing to Mr. Carlyle's wife, and in the capacity of a subordinate, how would she like to live with her as a subordinate, as servant, it may be said, where she had once reigned, the idolized lady? She must bear that, as she must bear all else. Hot tears came into her eyes with a gush, as they fell on the signature, Barbara Carlyle. Already she sat down and waited the signal of departure, but that was not to be yet. It was finally arranged that she should travel to England and to West Lynn with Mrs. Latimer, and that lady would not return until October. Lady Isabel could only fold her hands and strive for patience. But the day did come. It actually did and Mrs. Latimer, Lady Isabel, and Affy quitted Stolkenberg. Mrs. Latimer would only travel slowly, and the impatient, fevered woman thought the journey would never end. You have been informed, I think, of the position of these unhappy children that you are going to, Mrs. Latimer observed to her one day. You must not speak to them of their mother. She left them. Yes. It is never well to speak to children of a mother who has disgraced them. Mr. Carlyle would not like it, and I dare say they are taught to forget her and to regard Mrs. Carlyle as their only mother. Her aching heart had to assent to all. It was a foggy afternoon, grey with the coming twilight, when they arrived at West Lynn. Mrs. Latimer, believing the governess was a novice in England, kindly put her into a fly, and told the driver his destination. Au revoir, madame, she said, and good luck to you. Once more she was whirling along the familiar road. She saw Justice Hare's house, she saw other marks which she knew well, and once more she saw East Lynn, the dear old house for the fly had turned into the avenue. Lights were moving in the windows. It looked gay and cheerful, a contrast to her. Her heart was sick with expectation. Her throat was beating, and as the man thundered up with all the force of his one horse and halted at the steps, her sight momentarily left her. Would Mr. Carlyle come to the fly to hand her out? She wished she had never undertaken the project now, in the depth of her fear and agitation. The hall door was flung open, and there gushed forth a blaze of light. Two men-servants stood there. The one remained in the hall, the other advanced to the chaise. He assisted Lady Isabel to alight, and then busied himself with the luggage. As she attended to the hall, she recognized old Peter. Strange indeed did it not seem to say, How are you, Peter, but to meet him as a stranger? For a moment she was at a loss for words. What should she say or ask 
coming to her own home. Her manner was embarrassed, her voice low. Is Mrs. Carlyle within? Yes, ma'am. At that moment Joyce came forward to receive her. It is Madame Vine, I believe, she respectfully said. Please to step this way, madame. But Lady Isabel lingered in the hall, ostensibly to see that her boxes came in right. Stephen was bringing them up, in reality to gather a short respite, for Joyce might be about to usher her into the presence of Mr. and Mrs. Carlyle. Joyce, however, did nothing of the sort. She merely conducted her to the grey parlour. A fire was burning in the grate, looking cheerful on the autumn night. This is your sitting-room, madame. What will you please to take? I will order it brought in while I show you your bedchamber. A cup of tea, answered Lady Isabel. Tea and some cold meat, suggested Joyce. But Lady Isabel interrupted her. Nothing but tea and a little cold toast. Joyce rang the bell, ordered the refreshment to be made ready, and then preceded Lady Isabel upstairs. On she followed, her heart palpitating, past the rooms that used to be hers, along the corridor toward the second staircase. The door of her old dressing-room stood open, and she glanced in with a yearning look. No, never more. Never more could it be hers. She had put it from her by her own free act and deed. Not less comfortable did it look now than in former days, but it had passed into another's occupancy. The fire threw its blaze onto the furniture. There were the little ornaments on the large dressing-table, as they used to be in her time, and the cut glass of crystal essence bottles was glittering in the firelight. On the sofa lay a shawl and a book, and on the bed a silk dress, as thrown there after being taken off. No, those rooms were not for her now, and she followed Joyce up the other staircase. The bedroom she was shown to was commodious and well furnished. It was the one Miss Carlyle had occupied when she, Isabella, had been taken a bride to East Lynn, though that lady had subsequently quitted it for one on the lower floor. Joyce put down the wax-light she carried and looked around. Would you like a fire lighted here, madame, for tonight? Perhaps it will feel welcome after travelling. Oh, no thank you, was the answer. Stephen, with somebody to help him, was bringing up the luggage. Joyce directed him where to place it, telling him to uncord the boxes. That done, the man left the room, and Joyce turned to Lady Isabel, who had stood like a statue, never so much as attempting to remove her bonnet. "'Can I do anything for you, madame?' she asked. Lady Isabel declined. In the first moments of her arrival she was dreading detection. How was it possible that she should not? And she feared Joyce's keen eyes more, perhaps, than she feared any others. She was only wishing that the girl would go down. Should you want anything, please to ring, 
and Hannah will come up, said Joyce, preparing to retire. She is the maid who waits upon the grey parlour, and will do anything you like up here. Joyce had quitted the room, and Lady Isabel had got her bonnet off when the door opened again. She hastily thrust it on, somewhat after the fashion of Richard Hare's rushing on his hat and false whiskers. It was Joyce. Do you think you shall find your way down alone, madame? Yes, I can do that, she answered. Find her way in that house? End of chapter 32, part 1